looking mostly at Romans chapter 3 and 4. So those are the two main passages we will look at this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible with, we encourage you always to bring your Bible. But if you don't have one, find one under a pew chair near you. This morning we are going to look at the concept, which is the basis of Christianity, that faith is the basis and the only basis of our standing with God. There is no other basis. And we are also going to secondarily look at the focus of that basis is Jesus Christ himself. Not some vague notion of God, but Jesus Christ alone. As we listen to Chris give his updates with the persecuted church, one of the things that you will always notice, at least almost always, and I realize that people persecute other people that are different than them of all sorts, but by and large, Christians are the ones that are most persecuted simply because we don't say, well, that's okay, and always lead to God, and whatever you think is okay, you know, that's fine for you, but you know, that's good for you, but this is for me. We say there is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And that is what draws the major amount of fire. The reality is, the reality is that the Bible is very clear. No one comes unto God the Father but through Jesus Christ. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. This morning we are going to look at those two concepts and we're going to start by doing a quick review because I recognize this is summertime and uh, the congregation switches from week to week because of vacations and everything else. So a very quick review of what we looked at in the past. We saw that faith is always based on what is reliable information. It's always based on the truth. There are different levels of trust because we on a regular basis have faith in our fellow man, our spouse, our kids, or someone else uh, on a lesser level. But faith in God is always based on the absolutely true, reliable track record that God has set down. He has never lied to us. He has never uh, fooled us. He has always proven himself reliable, always. And so we can depend on ultimately only on him, but we also trust others in the process. As I pointed out last week, the naive person believes everything. That's hope so. That's this is what I want and I hope it comes uh, to pass. I'm not sure what's happening, but this is what I hope is going to happen. Those are not biblical concepts of faith. The naive believes everything, but the prudent man, pretty much a synonym for the wise person, considers his steps. Looks at the source of the information that he is trusting. I gave you two definitions last week, and these are definitions that I will consistently use through the rest of this series of sermons. I don't know how many there are at this point. But this is our side of our relationship with God. That is, that faith is the willful choice to trust and act upon reliable information without having experienced the future outcome of the decision. Obviously, if you've already experienced the outcome, it's no longer faith. That's reality. It's life. It's now history. It's not faith. But this is a choice that I must make. And I don't just base it on anything. That would be naive. I base it on reliable information. 
This is man's side of relationship with God. The faith, as it is called in the New Testament, is God's side. It is He providing the proven and reliable set of truths that can be trusted as the basis of our decisions. Of course, we know that that ultimately comes down to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is also conveyed to us by His Word, the Word of God. Much of it from Jesus, but all of it given to us by God the Holy Spirit. And we know that we can trust it. It proves reliable over and over again. And now we are in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. There it says, and if you would follow with me, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, which kind of set a definition. But here, it gives us a mechanism. Notice what it says. Without faith, there is no other way to have a right relationship or a right standing with God. Faith is the only way. It is not by who you are, your position, what you have done or haven't done, None of those things ultimately count. There's a place for those things, but that's not what counts when it comes to a standing before God. He says it is absolutely by faith or it's not at all. That's pretty bold, but it's what the Bible says. In fact, is the next words are very strong words, about as strong a word as you can find in the Greek language because it says without faith it is impossible. It doesn't say unlikely or might not work. It says it's impossible. The, words, the word is two Greek words put together, which simply means without strength. You are unable to have a relationship with God. It is powerless to try it any other way. There is no strength in any other approach to God. It is me making a choice to trust the information that he has given me. The basic information, as I mentioned before, is the work of Christ. This morning, we are going to, when we come to the end of the service, focus on Jesus Christ. This is a visual reminder, an object lesson divinely given by God to remind us of ultimate truth, that we were sinners and that it was required by God that blood be shed to cover sin. That's the Old Testament. But also to take away sin and give us the righteousness of God, that's the new covenant. That's the good news. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died once for all. He was the perfect high priest. It's been pointed out many times that in the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, there were no places to sit down. No chairs, no benches, no nothing. Why? Because if you were a priest, the moment you walked in there to the moment you walked back out of the tabernacle or the temple, you were busy offering sacrifices on behalf of the nation 
on behalf of individual people or just because God said this is what you need to do. But there was no place to sit down. The work was never finished. There were never enough sacrifices, never enough blood shed that it could come to an end. But Hebrews, the commentary in the Old Testament says, when Jesus had offered himself once for all time for the forgiveness of sin, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father because it was completely, totally, 100% finished. There was nothing more that could be done. He, He alone was the perfect sacrifice. And so... All of the other things, including the blood of bulls and goats, including all the ritual, including all the the things that we may do that God has commanded us to, none of those things make it possible to have a relationship with God. It is on the basis of faith and faith alone. Now, we will see in future sermons that faith also has its consequences. Because if you say, I have faith in God, there will be those things that stem from that. A changed life, a different manner of life, a reaching out to other people. In other words, your faith will be seen by the works that indeed do happen in your life. Works do not give faith, but faith absolutely gives birth to works. That's the way it is. So without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, I have to tell you, we live in the United States. I just heard on TV, we are the most generous nation and the most generous group of people in all the world. When other nations have a catastrophe of whatever sort, who are the first to respond? It's us. By the way, don't, don't hurt your arm patting yourself on the back. We could even do more. When other nations are being deprived of their liberty and their citizens are being shot in the streets because they dissent and have chosen to speak up, who responds? It's us. Okay? That doesn't make us God's people. It just means as a nation, we do a lot of good things. When it's our neighbors, we volunteer more time to help them or to help people with their disadvantage of one sort or the other. We when you check around all of the nations that have done polls on these things, we volunteer more time and give more than any other nation, any other people. But guess what? While those are not bad things, and I encourage you to do those things, they don't give us a standing with God. They may be good things, humanitarian things, but they don't give us a standing and a right relationship with God. Because he makes it clear that those things do not please God. In other words, they don't give us a final approval by God. Things that he has commanded us to do, we are to be compassionate. We are to pity others. We are to be gracious to others. We are to do that. But that doesn't give us a standing with God may give us a standing with other people. They may pat you on the back and they may recognize you and all those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with that. But the only thing that pleases God is faith. The only thing that gives us approval before God is faith. And it goes on in that same verse to say, For he who comes to God must believe that he is. This is not, as I mentioned in the very beginning, not some vague nation of God, 
notion of God with a small g or a capital G. It is very uh, prominent today to have the idea that no matter what you believe, as long as you believe in God and whatever you do to think that makes you right with God or takes you to God, that's okay. So your way is not the same as mine, but God bless you in your way and, you know, he'll bless me in my way and all roads lead to heaven, all that kind of stuff. That is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. Never has and never will. All of those are imitations of God because the true God, the creator of the universe, the one who holds our life, our very breath in his hand, who has given life and has the right to take it away, the one who calls us to account at the very end of life is a true God. And he is known by this. The only way you can please him, the only way you can be right with him is through his son the second person of the Trinity who took on a human body and human nature to come live among us and then die for our sins. Only by faith in Him and through Him can we be right with God. We many times look and say, well, you know, their God is okay and that. But do you ever think about this? And you, you may smile, some of you have been around longer. Did you ever notice nobody ever says, this leather feels just like real vinyl. Nobody does that. By the way, did you ever hear a butter commercial? I come from a, da- a line of dairy farmers. Did you ever hear a butter commercial that says, tastes just like margarine? No, don't do it. All of the false gods and false religions of this world are cheap imitations of the real God. That would be a great series of sermons to compare how Satan, the great imitator... Remember, he's not the creator, he's the imitator. And his biggest imitation is false religion. That's how he fools people. Think about it. Of the six billion or so people in the world, at least five billion of them worship some other god other than the Christian god. And I'm not telling you there are one billion true born-again Christians. I'm not telling you that at all. But there are about a billion people who would say, well, we acknowledge the God of the Bible in some way or the other. He is Jehovah God, the self-existing one, who is approached only by blood, only by perfect blood, and only by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one there is. And we must believe that He is. And then notice what it says, that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. The word rewarder here is the same as getting a paycheck. That's what it's talking about. He is the one that pays back. He is the one that returns wages for what has been done. In this case, it's not wages for your work. It's wages for your faith. He's the one that decides. I don't tell God what the result should be. But I can tell you that he has already given us the result of faith. He said, for whoever trusts Jesus Christ will be saved. Who For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he says it many, many different ways in the scripture. But we can honestly, straightforwardly, and with full assurance say, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, recognizing your sin, recognizing that he has forgiven you, you can know you have eternal life. 
here and now, right this moment. And you can have a life worth living the rest of your life. And you can have a home worth looking forward to after you do die. We do that. In fact, is when we celebrate the communion, it says we proclaim his death until he comes. That's what we do. When we partake of this, we're saying, no, this is what we're trusting in. There is no plan B. He is indeed. And let's read the verse one more time before we move on. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I'd like you to turn to the second passage I mentioned, and that is... Romans chapter 3 and 4. But what I'd like to do first is go to Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Because this theme is picked up there about the reward. And then we'll go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 3. But in Romans chapter 4, verse uh, 4, it says this, Now the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor. But what is due? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. The new word we picked up here, the word faith and believe shows up over and over again in these two chapters. But a new word is reckoned. Now, I don't know, those of you that work, I don't know what you do with your paycheck. Um... My paycheck is handed to my wife by our treasurer because he knows that's who gets it anyway. Do you know what? You might have direct deposit. I don't know what you have. But here's how it works. When you take it to the bank, however you get it to the bank, it is credited and accounted on the positive side of your ledger. It adds to your account. It's credited to your account. When it's credited to your account, then you can spend it. You can write checks or use your Mac card or whatever you choose to do. That's what happens here. And he says that if you do works, it's not credited as a favor. See, a gift is a favor. If you owe me, if I owe you nothing and I give you a gift, birthday gift, anniversary gift, uh, just a gift because I want to give you a gift, you owe nothing. It's a favor. It's an act of grace. You haven't earned it. I am not obligated to do it. That's a gift. It's not counted as something that's a wage. The fact is, uh, it's what, according to this, it's what is due to you. So I expect that if I, you work 40 hours or whatever you work, uh, and the boss said, I'm giving you this much an hour, you're going to get exactly what you work for. The boss isn't doing you a favor. Sometimes bosses think that, but they're not. You've hopefully earned it. It's what is due you. It's not a gift. On the other hand, he says, but the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned. It's credited to his positive side of his ledger. That's what God has done for us. Can't work for it. It's impossible to do that. It's an act of faith. But it's nonetheless credited to our account. That's what God has done for us. And he wants to do it. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you don't have the righteousness of God 
credited to your account. And that's the only way you can be right with God because it, God requires a perfect righteousness. You cannot earn it. Period. Just not possible. Now, turn to Romans chapter 3. We're just going to look at uh, this in a surface manner. Uh, we could spend weeks on each of these chapters, and that is not my purpose this morning. But if you begin at Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, What advantage has the Jew, or what benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted, and by the way, the word entrusted is our word believe or faith here, same word, with the oracles of God. They were given God's word. Almost all of the Bible, Old and New Testament, came from Jewish writers who the Holy Spirit chose to use to reveal God's plan to us, God's character and His instructions and His promises to us. So being a Jew, you were a person picked apart from the rest of the world uh, to serve God. Verse 3, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. But let, but, uh, I'm sorry, rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. There are those today that teach that if Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, and everyone does not ultimately get saved by some mechanism, one way or the other, forced to, or everybody will universally come to Christ, God is a failure. Absolutely not. This verse blows that right out of the water. Because notice what it says. If some don't believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. It doesn't nullify what God has done. Remember, there are two sides to this faith. God has provided the reliable information that we can base our faith on. But we must respond. And God is absolutely faithful. His work is absolutely complete and perfect and will do what it set out to accomplish. But it has to be responded to because that's what faith is. I can naively think, okay, Christ died for the sins of the world, so I guess I'm okay. I could do that. Or God will make me do this. That's still naive because he makes it clear over and over again in the Scripture, we must respond. But even if nobody ever responded, God has still been absolutely faithful. He's done everything that is needed, but we must be made, uh, we must make a choice. A lot of times I've heard the, the last phrase there, rather let God be found true and every man a liar. I've heard that used many, many different ways. But the context is, no, God has faithfully done what he said needed to be done. He has finished it and completed it, made it available, and that's the truth. It's also true that we need to respond to it, and we don't. And so no matter what we do, we do not frustrate the work of God. It's a work of faith. And then you know, possibly know, and have memorized verses from the following part of this. Because he goes back to say, all have been found sinners. That is verse 9. 
the end of verse 9. And then he goes on to quote numerous quotes from the Old Testament, many of them from the Psalms. And it says this. It says, there are none righteous. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. They've all turned aside. They've become useless. No one does good. Their um, throat is an open grave. Their tongues keep on deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Misery and destruction are in their path. The path of peace they have not known. And then it ends with this one. I find that curious. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No respect for God is how he ends it. We're sinners. We're born that way, and we continue in that direction. That's why we need faith and faith alone. Because we are what is just described here. And I'll tell you what, you look at that, that's a mess. They don't know peace. They don't respect God. Destruction and misery are the results. Look around and find out if that isn't true. Read the newspaper if you don't think destruction and misery are the lot of those who choose to go their own way. Just the way it is. We don't seek God. We seek God in our own way. We try to make God in our image instead of looking to Him. So it sets us in a very bad light. We're separated from God because that's exactly what sin does. But now we're going to continue on. Verse 19 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. In other words, the law given in the Old Testament simply made sin sinful. Made people with no, made people to have no excuse whatsoever and showed them that you cannot answer God in the right way. You are accountable to God and your mouth will be closed because you have nothing to brag about. Verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The word justified has to do with to be made right with God to meet his standard, to be able to have a friendship relationship with God. And it does that. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Law can never save you. It cannot make you a better Christian. It simply gives you knowledge of sin. But now look at verse 21, and this is where I wanted to go. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, the vague nation of God, uh, notion of God is not enough. It is always through Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation. He is the one that has provided everything needed to be able to come into God's presence and for God to fellowship with us. It works both ways. He says, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just enough, personally, for Christ to have died on the cross. That's great. That's a finished work. I'm not taking anything away from that. But that doesn't credit anything to my account. Only by faith do I have God's righteousness credited to my account. Without that, I have nothing. 
I am not still in a right relationship with him. In fact, as chapter 4 goes on to say, um, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham indeed trusted God. God had said, the seed is going to come through you. He took him out, showed him the stars, and he did a few things, and it just simply says, Abraham believed God. He did not have the New Testament. He didn't know all the details we know. But no one ever got saved except through the gospel, looking to the good news. He had to look way ahead. He had limited light, limited information. We have the full story. We can look at a finished work. He was looking forward to a work that would be finished. But it says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. He had it credited to his account. He didn't earn it. The fact is, if you read the story of Abraham, you know that he was like all the rest of us. He didn't earn a thing. I'll close with one illustration. My wife's cars have a target printed on them. You can't see it. If you go out in the parking lot, you can't see it. But it's there. She gets hit on a regular basis. In our driveway, she gets hit. At red lights, stopped, she gets hit. I just said, there's got to be a target there. I can't see it, but it's there. It happened again this Friday. She's at a red light. A guy is not paying attention. Uh, He is going too fast. He doesn't stop. He sees her at the last minute. He tries to swerve, and he takes off the bumper cover and busts the left tail light. She gets out. This guy is a mess. She should have known something was going on because he was uninsured. I got to tell you, he had nothing to credit to his account. She was on the way to see our insurance agent for a whole totally different reason. And so she asked, and we do have uninsured uh, motorist insurance. You know, the thing is, it's a $500 deductible. I'm going to fix the car myself. It's probably going to cost, I don't know, most a couple hundred bucks if I can get some used parts. The point is, it wouldn't have helped us to turn this guy in. And we said, well, what, what would you do? He has nothing. I mean, this guy had nothing, and he was he was total mess talking to my wife. He had nothing. He said, well, the insurance company will go after, and they'll, they'll tag his all his uh, earthly goods. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't pay up, he's going to jail. We didn't turn him in. Now, you can debate that at all. We just looked at each other and said, this is a ministry opportunity. Before it's done, we are going to tell him there is a God who doesn't accept you because of how good you are and because you have insurance and you've done all the right things. By the way, he is wrong for not having insurance. It's illegal. That's not the point. Every sin we do is illegal in God's sight. He is uninsured and he has nothing to stand on. He has no works, nothing to back him up. We could get him in big trouble. We've chosen not to do that. But what we're going to do is what I believe God has done to us. He's looked at us and said, hey, Paul Malfair, you're a mess. You're, you're that list. You have nothing. But here's what I've done for you. I've paid the bill. We're going to end up paying the bill for the bumper cover and taillight lens. 
I don't know what it's going to cost, but we'll pay the bill. It's nothing even close to what Jesus Christ has done for us. It doesn't even get on the scale. You understand, I'm not comparing the two apples to apples. This is apples and oranges. But that's what God has done for us. And it's only by faith. I hope before it's done, I'm, I think we're going to write him a letter and send him a tract and maybe talk to him over on the phone again. But let him know that there's somebody off. We're not gracious because of us, but we represent someone who's ultimately gracious, who ultimately says only by trusting him can you have a relationship with God. See, this guy could be at home shaking his boots now because he doesn't know us. He might say, oh, yeah, that's what they said. You're not going to turn us in, but are they really going to do that? And I wouldn't blame him because he doesn't know us. Hopefully, by the time we're done, he'll have a little bit of an idea of us. But God doesn't hold this in suspense. He has given us his word. And the men, if you would please gather uh, to serve the Lord's Supper, as we come before him, we have nothing to offer. There are no works. There is no other standing. Our basis... Our standing before God is based only on what Jesus Christ has done for us. As we come before the Lord here, this divinely given object lesson, we are to be reminded of the great work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. His body given for our life. His blood shed to pay for our sins. Partaking of this won't save you. This is a symbol. Because then I would be contradicting everything I just said for the last half hour. Because it wouldn't be an act of faith. It would be an act of something I can do. We all like to do things. We're Americans. We do things for others. I don't like when people have to help me. I'm the guy that should be doing it for somebody else. I bet you a lot of you are like that because I know you are. But that's, that, that's not wrong. I'm just saying. But when it comes to God, I have nothing to offer. He's done it for me. This is a symbol of what he's done for me. The men would come forward, please. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. This is indeed the Lord's Supper. If you've trusted Christ and you're living in fellowship with him, fellowship with your fellow man, welcome. Participate with us. If you're living in sin, your life's in chaos, and you drink anyway, you're proclaiming that Christ has forgiven you and everything's okay, and it's not. You're eating and drinking judgment. That's what it says. Nobody's going to ask you. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. We just want to warn you, that's what God says. I'm going to ask Brother Craig if he would thank the Lord for the body that he's given for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here today. And uh, Father, we just want to remember you and how you came to earth and you humbled yourself, uh, considering yourself not equal with the qualities that you had when you were in heaven before you came to earth. And, uh, Father, you lived sinlessly among us. You gave us an example to follow. And, uh, Father, you came and sent your Son to die on the cross that we might live and have eternal life. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have faith in him. We thank you that we can believe in a hope that is coming at the end. And thank you for the knowledge of the facts that you've given us to we can entrust that to you. And, uh, Father, as we consider these things, I pray that we would walk in an example yes. worthy of our calling. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Ask Brother Brad if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise, the Word of God says that after... The Lord instituted His supper. They sang a hymn and went out from that place. We're going to end by singing a cappella, He is Lord. Okay, you know that little chorus, He is Lord. Let's sing it. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess.